0: Hi there and welcome to episode number two of When in Spain, the program that helps you make sense of Spain and Spanish life, one podcast, time. I'm Paul Burge and this week I'm taking you out on a walk around my neighbourhood, La Latina. Along the way I'm hoping I'll be able to introduce you to some of the sights and sounds of the barrio and I'll talk a little bit about what it's like to actually live here, among many other things. So continuing uh, on from last week's intro to When in Spain... I wanted to get out and about and give you guys a bit of a flavor of life in the center of Madrid. So, let's go. The apartment where I live is five floors. Uh, I'm on the third floor and it's quite old. Old wooden staircases with wrought iron uh, banisters. I heard uh, one of the neighbours talking, saying that the building uh, is about 110 years old. And now onto the street. There are quite a few antique shops uh, up and down the road. Usually open only on weekends, sometimes during the week, but today being a Saturday uh, evening, some of them are still open, uh, although I imagine they will be closing fairly soon. It's warm and I'm thirsty, so let's go and get a drink. buenas Me pones un dormur por taz. Un dormur por Ah, venga, sí, gracias. Un poquito. No, patatas con huevos, sí. Muchas gracias, Maná Valle, gracias. So I've just uh, ducked into a small bar right in the heart of uh, the La Latina neighborhood where I live. Um, Uh, It's a really, really traditional Spanish uh, neighbourhood in uh, central Madrid. Um, It's becoming more touristy. Um, It hasn't completely become discovered by too many tourists at the moment. It hasn't been overrun. It's still a little bit off the beaten track, but only slightly. Um, There are other neighbourhoods in Madrid which I think have become more, more popular with either people coming to live here, or certainly on the tourist trail, one of them that springs to mind is called uh, La Malasana. Someone's just uh, dropped their glass. So anyway, I've just ducked into a very traditional, uh, what I would call a tasca. It's a sort of traditional, very basic Spanish type of bar. You're not going to really be necessarily ordering cocktails and craft beers in a place like this. It's basic metal counter with a selection of One beer on tap, one non-alcoholic beer, and something called vermouth, or vermouth, um, which is um, becoming increasingly common again in Spain. Well, it became incredibly unfashionable, I suppose a bit like in the UK, a bit like uh, maybe gin was uh, about 20 or 30 years ago. It was maybe something that your grandmother drank. But uh, now in Spain, and certainly in Madrid, vermouth, or vermouth, which is like a sort of fortified sweet red wine served in a a glass with ice and a slice of orange. It's the typical tipple that people would drink on a weekend, afternoon or lunchtime. In fact, it's probably the only kind of alcoholic drink which is acceptable to drink before midday uh, here in Spain. Uh, Although you will certainly see people drinking beer at nine o'clock in the morning. That's uh, definitely a a site which is quite common. Anyway, so I've just ducked into this very uh, classic uh, tasca. I call it a tasca. It's sort of the name given to these very traditional Spanish bars. They will give you a free tapas, normally, with any alcoholic drink you order. They are open pretty much all day from probably about 7 o'clock in the morning right through till maybe midnight or 1 or 2 a.m. on the weekend. And it's somewhere where you can... uh, Come at any time of day to order food and the food will usually be very traditional in lots of uh, quite stodgy potato meats eggs bread you can order beer wine and very cheaply as well usually these places are very affordable and um, these are also the kind of places which offer here in spain a menu del dia which is like a fixed menu which includes three courses and usually a, a drink a coffee or a glass of wine or a beer for incredibly reasonable prices a menu del dia normally in madrid can be as cheap as eight euros i think i've seen up to about 15 euros for a slightly more higher quality or more elaborate menu they're great value only available at lunchtime usually midweek and at weekends. it's not something you can order at uh, at night so yeah it's just a flavor of your classic casca bar I'm sitting in the Plaza de la Paja, a very pretty and small square with a little uh, fountain uh, in the middle, uh, right in the centre of uh, La Latina. Um, And, well, it's a Saturday afternoon, about 20 past 6 in the evening, and it's absolutely thronging with people. It's a beautiful, uh, well, very warm uh, spring early evening uh not a cloud in the sky i think i'm actually (laughs) starting to burn in the sun i should have put my sun cream on um and yeah i wanted to talk a bit about the sort of atmosphere of uh of uh well the la latina neighborhood but also um in general the sort of atmosphere of different neighborhoods in 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 madrid um Uh, La Latina is really very traditional still. As I was saying, it is becoming more touristy. Um, It is attracting a lot more uh, uh, people from abroad who decide to come and live in Madrid um, because it's got a fantastic central location. You're about a 10-minute walk from the uh, Plaza Mayor, which is a very beautiful, classic, uh, very famous square uh, in the center of the city. Um, so really, we are in the centre, but the great thing about the neighbourhood is it still has a very, um, a very sort of traditional Spanish feel. You know, it still feels like a real living neighbourhood. Um, of course, it's full of bars and restaurants and cafes. Um, really, the sort of focal point is a huge uh, indoor market called um, El Mercado de la Cerbada, the Cerbada Market. Um, which is still a very everyday market where, you know, the locals go to do uh, their shopping. Um, so it still has a very traditional feel to it. When I first uh, moved to Spain, I, I, I sort of, when I was looking for somewhere to live, I wanted to uh, find somewhere, uh, probably what I thought then was more in the centre, even though this is in the centre. Um, but I was, sort of had my heart set on living in another neighbourhood called Malasana, and sort of looking back, I'm really glad that I, I, I didn't end up living there. Um, but Malasanya is a sort of um, considered a sort of hip and trendy and sort of up-and-coming neighbourhood. In fact, it's probably up and, and come and gone. Um, it's full of uh, lots of uh, uh, young Erasmus students, lots of students from overseas. Um, it's, it's very touristy. It's just off one of the, very, well, the main streets in uh, the capital called Gran Via. Um, and it's a great neighbourhood. It's uh, fantastically vibrant for going out in, and it was also the uh, one of the sort of key parts of the capital, um, which was home to La Movida, uh, the movement. Sort of when Spain had its cultural uh, sort of um, renaissance in the nineteen eighties after the Franco regime ended. This was uh, the Malasaña neighbourhood. Um, was the sort of centre of uh, the rebirth of uh, uh, cinema, music, fashion, art. It was considered a very alternative. Um, however, now it's not really so alternative. And going back to where I am now in La Latina, as I say, when I, when I, first, uh, moved in, when I first moved here, I shared uh, an apartment with uh, a Spanish girl who was an, an actress, or who is an actress, and uh, she said to me, "Oh, you're, you're going to love living here. This neighborhood is very, is very castizo. It's a very castizo neighborhood." And I said, "What is castizo?" It was very traditional. It's very traditional Madrid. And this word castizo, I'm still trying to sort of put my finger on what it means. I, I think I know what the sort of feeling that it evokes, but to try and describe it is quite tricky. I think really castizo is it's. Uh, it's, it's it's got such a, an old-fashioned feel to the place. It's sort of slightly gritty, sometimes a bit run down. Sometimes uh, um, I don't know how I can say it. it's a real mishmash of people. You've got still you still see, you know, eighty, seventy, eighty, ninety-year-old men and women. Uh, Uh, ambling along the street with their with their shopping basket full of fruit and veg it's packed with uh, old cafes and bars Uh, and you walk in and there'll be three elderly men propping up the bar Uh, Watching the football on the TV. Um, you've got all of the different tarrafas, all of the tables and chairs scattered all around the neighborhood outside the bars. Um, it's got a very youthful feel to it as well. Um, it's also home to the very famous uh, Rastro market, El Rastro, which is a Sunday flea market every Sunday, which is, uh, well, right next to where I actually live now. Uh, huge market. There must be hundreds and hundreds of different stalls. Uh, it takes place on a Sunday morning. And uh, you can find anything there. It's uh, full of clothes, bric-a-brac, antiques, uh, different uh, types of food, live music, CDs, uh, jewellery, right down to very random things, pots and pans. There's one stall. The only thing it sells is... Uh, about a hundred different varieties of uh, sellotape in all different colours one sells elastic bands one sells old uh, tools Um, so it's it's incredibly uh, interesting it's very, not like a sort of typical market uh, El Rastro so they set up every Sunday and then by Sunday evening it's gone Um, but yeah, the other market I was talking about La Cebada which is right next to the metro station of La Latina Um, Is full of uh, fruit and veg, fish, meat, bread, uh, wine. There's a fantastic wine uh, stall in there. And this is a permanent market. It was originally, I think, a 17th or 18th century uh, market, uh, which was demolished very sadly, I think, in the 1950s or 60s and replaced with what's there today, which is, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about it. It's sort of quite a brutal 1960s concrete uh, building which has got these big kind of vaulted domed roofs which are painted bright colours like green, orange, red blue um, and the out- exterior of the uh, market is sort of painted with graffiti and murals and then it's quite uh, a spectacle, but it's completely at odds with the surrounding architecture, which are, I suppose, turn of the century uh, apartments with their sort of raw iron balconies and uh, wooden shutters. Um, I don't know. I think some some people might think it's a bit of a bit of an eyesore. I have mixed feelings. I think it's a fantastic market. I'll take us inside in a minute to have a look. Um, but yeah, so uh, La Latina, Castifo, um, very traditional. Uh, a mixture of uh, young professionals. Uh, there is some tourism. There are definitely uh, uh, expats or immigrants or whatever you like to call it from uh, different parts of Europe that have come to live here. Um, it's uh, it's very diverse. Um, but as I say, it still maintains that kind of traditional feel to it. It doesn't feel necessarily uh, touristy. Um, it's just... For me, it's uh, something quite nostalgic. It reminds me a bit of coming on holiday to Spain when I was a kid with my parents and uh, you walk into a little corner grocery store or a fruit and veg shop and it just has a sort of smell about it, um, which I can't really explain, but it's, it's incredibly nostalgic for me from sort of early days coming on holiday um, to Spain. And it's sort of, in a way, it's what, one great thing about Spain on on the whole, I think, and certainly Madrid, that Madrid is a you know capital city of six million people, but still, there are still all these independent little shops, there's still greengrocers, there's still bakeries, there are still fishmongers and butchers. Um, and and I think people have stayed very loyal to them. Of course, there are supermarket chains everywhere in the city, um, but people seem to have stayed very much loyal to these independent shops, and for that reason, there are still so many of them, um, you know, street after street after street. There will be several greengrocers and, and all types of little independent shops. So, for that reason, it, it's, it's sort of also nostalgic. It reminds me of sort of England, again. You know, when I was a kid 30, 30 odd years ago. Um, it also sort of makes you realise how well, how in my opinion, it's just my opinion. Um, but uh, since living in Spain, when I go back to the UK, it makes me realise sort of how bland. Uh, sort of the UK has become in some ways particularly when you're talking about cities and city centres and town centres it's just sort of chain shop after chain shop after chain shop uh, dominated by supermarkets and it doesn't seem to have really arrived in Spain yet I think it, it is starting to change for sure and who knows maybe in 20 or 30 years time it will be more like the UK but I still think that there is this very, uh, there's this sort of reluctance um, to, to give in to that sort of corporate, corporateness. So, for that reason, yeah, this is a great, great neighborhood uh, to come and uh, uh, explore. Um, one of the other classic parts of it, I suppose, which you could say is a little bit touristy, is a road called um, Cava Baja, the lower cave. There is Cava Alta and Cava Baja, which are two long. Very narrow streets. Cava uh, Baja is absolutely heaving um, with uh, with bars. Well, tapas bars, really. It's, the whole street is lined, both sides. The street is probably, I don't know, two, three hundred meters long, and I think every single uh, building front is a bar or a tapas bar. And it's a great place to go for uh, a tapas crawl, which is a very common thing for. Spanish people to do on a weekend. They'll meet with their friends uh, early evening um, before um, uh, having dinner. Of course, dinner or the evening meal here in Spain still really happens very late. Something that I still struggle with and find difficult is that uh, you know, during the week, it's very common for people to have their dinner at probably about nine thirty, ten o'clock, maybe even 10.30. And certainly at the weekend... Um, Even later, maybe 11pm or 1130 they might have their their evening meal. So this sort of uh, going for tapas, having little snacks and drinking a small beer uh, sort of tides people over through the evening before they have their evening meal. Anyway, um, uh, now I just want to uh, head across to the Fabada market that I've just been talking about. So I've just wandered into el mercado de la cebada and it's a very large concrete hall really uh spread over two floors there are a huge array of different uh, well they're like little shops really uh fruit and vegetables meat seafood fish there's a bakery stalls selling uh dairy products uh, there was a little wine stall where, they, where, where you can do wine tastings. But I would say there are probably, I don't know, maybe 60 or 70, maybe even 100 different stalls spread across the two floors inside. It's a little bit run down. Um, you can tell that it has seen better days and that really not much money has been invested in the place for many years, really. It's a little bit shabby. Well, there have been plans on the table for a few years to demolish the market and uh, redevelop it and rebuild a market that includes a rooftop terrace and cafes and bars and that kind of things. As I understand, there just simply isn't the money uh, at the moment to do so. So as it stands, yeah, it's a uh, great place to come and buy produce, but yeah it is a little bit shabby. There are a few bars and cafes inside as well, Uh, they don't seem to attract many customers but you will see people sometimes walking around with a glass of wine or a beer in their hand uh, as they do their shopping. One thing I've noticed with the uh, markets in Spain is they take a great deal of pride in how they display their produce. So they're immaculately laid out, particularly fruit and vegetables. And the nice thing is when you come and buy produce in a place like this, you can have a nice little conversation and a chat with the, uh, with the uh, market trader who will tell you a bit about the produce where it's come from what new things they've got uh, on offer makes a change from a a busy supermarket i would say the prices are probably on average slightly cheaper in the market sometimes they can be a little bit more expensive but on the whole i would say they're slightly cheaper or about the same price as uh, a supermarket would be but in my experience the quality tends to be much um, much better there are some curious places as well. There's an old cobblers, mending shoes. There's a, a watch and clock repairer with some old clocks hanging on the wall behind the counter. So it's, it's pretty diverse. I've just walked up to the upper level of the market and on the upstairs of the market really is where most of the stalls seem to be permanently closed. There are just avenues, I suppose, where stall after stall is permanently shuttered I come in here quite regularly and uh, many of them I've never uh, seen open just on the side of the market on the outside of the building uh, there is this a public space it used to be a swimming pool it's been closed for a long long time I, I never saw it as a swimming pool it's now been given over to skateboarders and uh, usually at the weekend teenagers and young people playing music and drinking normally So I'm just winding my way through uh, La Latina neighborhood. As I said, it is a Saturday evening, and it's absolutely heaving. Every, uh, every tarafa uh, is absolutely packed with people. There are people queuing up, waiting to sit down outside to to have a drink, um, as you can probably hear. And I think really this is sort of the beginning of the, the really good weather that's just sort of arrived in the last couple of weeks. So people are starting to get into... Summer mode. Uh, Cafes and bars are putting all their tables and chairs and their umbrellas out. It's a really, really, really uh, buzzing uh, atmosphere. Um, I've just seen a group of madrileñas, women in their, I looked like they were probably in their 60s or even 70s, all dressed in bright colored. Well, the very traditional dress looks a bit like a sort of what you might imagine as a flamenco dress. Bright colours—pink, yellow, orange, green—with uh, polka dot patterns on. And uh, I overheard the conversation. They were—I think one of them—I think it was their Hindu, and one of them was uh, getting married. So, it just goes to show, it's never too late. But as I was saying earlier, the Plaza de la Paja which is a very small square. Um, there's a connecting street which I'm just walking through now into a larger uh, square uh, which is on a sort of steep incline. The centre of the square is surrounded by uh, trees and the centre of the square really is just sort of sand and dust. But of course I've just realised uh, all of the tables and chairs are out here. I don't think there is one spare seat available on a Saturday evening at at 6 o'clock but no one is eating, no one is eating food yet, everyone is drinking beer, wine Uh, uh, there are some tourists drinking sangria it's not very common to drink sangria really if you're Spanish um, from from my experience the sort of equivalent would be uh, tinto de verano which is, well translates as summer red wine and it's a Red wine mixed with either lemonade or mixed with soda water and served in a jug and usually shared between a group of people. Um, that's definitely more common than sangria. Sangria is something you might find really in more touristy resorts on the seaside. Um, I don't really know of any of my Spanish friends or people, like Spanish people I've met that drink sangria, really. I think it's one of those clichés. But we're just heading now to really one of my favourite sort of hidden corners of uh, Madrid, which luckily for me just happens to be in my neighbourhood in La Latina. It's quite hard sometimes in Madrid to find quiet, tucked away spaces. It's a very noisy, boisterous city in general. Um, But this little place in La Latina is called um, El Jardín del Príncipe Anglona. And it's a... uh, almost like a little walled garden. Um, I'm just walking in now and there are actually quite a few people in here. Normally there aren't really, uh, normally there isn't anyone here um, and it's quite a nice little place to come and sit and read or just chill out for a a little break uh, during the week. And it's a really green spot. It has little rose bushes everywhere and hedges and it's completely surrounded by trees so it's a nice shady spot. And I think I was reading a blog the other day. It was named as one of the top 10 unknown, hidden, tucked away places. So hopefully it won't become too overrun and discovered by too many people. But it is absolutely beautiful. Quite often you'll come in here. In fact, I can see now there's a girl sitting down on a stone bench in the corner, reading a book. There are a few kids running around in the corner often you'll come in here and you'll see a a couple smooching you'll see a group of friends with a guitar singing or practicing Um, but overall it's a really it's a really uh, lovely little peaceful uh, corner of Madrid and it was originally a garden that belonged to the Prince of Anglona and the house dates from the 17th century obviously at some point it was given over to the city And the house is still standing right next to the gardens. It's completely closed off from the garden, but the house is still here with its uh, shutters and its windows. A lovely little place to come and escape, especially on a day like today when the whole place is thronging and it's actually uh, pretty hot Um, for May. It's probably about 24, 25 degrees this evening. (laughs) One thing you uh, realise about La Latina, um, probably more than many other barriers, is that it does uh, feel uh, older. Um, you know, it does consist of very narrow uh, streets, which are sort of always flanked by probably four, five, six-storey, uh, well, sort of look like townhouses that mostly date from around the uh, early, mid-18th century, some of them much earlier than that, all of them sort of follow the same format. If any of you have ever been to Spain, I'm sure you've, you've seen this style before, but, you know, uh, very imposing, uh, tall wooden double doors uh, for the entrance uh, to the buildings. They're all uh, apartments, whether at some stage they were houses, I don't think so, but uh, they're all apartment buildings, each with its own uh, balcony with sort of very elaborate wrought-iron designs, Uh, tall sort of double windows sort of like French doors that open out and most of the neighborhood uh, is is follows the same sort of uh, format Um, very sort of very traditional that's not to say that other neighborhoods in Spain don't look similar Um, when I first moved here I I used to get sort of confused with the different neighborhoods because some of them can look very similar and uh, it's not really until you've spent quite a decent amount of time uh, particularly in Madrid um, uh, it takes some time to actually tell them apart. You could, you know, be blindfolded and dumped into one neighbourhood, and you wouldn't have a clue which neighbourhood you were in. Um, so, so yeah, it's very typical. Uh, lots of narrow, winding streets, a bit like a labyrinth, and you suddenly um, a- a- arrive at a little square. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's it's very pretty, especially when the sun's shining um, light today. Um, and it is really the oldest, considered the oldest neighbourhood in Madrid, even though really Madrid isn't a particularly ancient capital compared with you know, Paris or Rome or London. Um, but it's, uh, the, 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 this neighbourhood really sort of occupies what was once um, an Islamic uh, citadel inside the old city walls of Madrid. The old city walls, now really, there's nothing left of them. I think there are, uh, there's one location where you can see some remains uh, in uh, La Latina neighbourhood, um, but most of them are, are long gone. And the name La Latina, it actually comes from uh, the name of a hospital that stood in the neighbourhood. Um, I think it was founded in about 1500 or late 1400s. And it was named after a woman called uh, Beatriz Galindo. Um, And she was affectionately known as La Latina, the the Latin one. I'm not quite sure why she became known as uh, La Latina. Um, But she was very well known in the sort of 15th century as as being uh, one of the most uh, educated women of that time. And and she was a a sort of very well-educated, and and I believe she worked as a teacher, and obviously a very prominent woman uh, in the society at that time. And I guess that's obviously why they named a hospital after her. Uh, The hospital uh, is not uh, not here anymore, but um, obviously the neighbourhood has taken uh, the name of the hospital via her nickname, La Latina, the Latin, the Latin one. I've just walked back across the other side of the neighborhood now. Um, it probably takes about 15, 20 minutes. And I'm just walking down a hill. Um, and this is a really nice sight, uh, particularly at night. Because um, uh, at the bottom of the hill is the Basilica of San Francisco el Grande, of San Francisco the Grand, or the Big. And it's quite an imposing church, which was... uh, Well, it's fairly modern by European standards. Very modern, I suppose. It dates from about the early to mid-18th century. And um, I actually have never been inside, and hopefully uh, during one of the future podcasts I can uh, have a look and take us in there. Um, But um, apparently it has some of the paintings of of Goya inside, um, which I um, didn't realise. But uh, it's... um, Quite an impressive building, I suppose, by European standards. It's not one of the most amazing, breathtaking uh, churches, but it, it is very impressive, and uh, it's particularly beautiful at night when you're walking through the sort of very centre of uh, La Latina and you look down the hill and it's uh, completely uh, lit up. So I think, really, yeah, more impressive, um, more impressive by night. Okay, so I've uh, headed back across the neighbourhood now and I'm uh, right back uh, on the street uh, where I first lived when I moved uh, here, um, called uh, Calle de Santa Ana. And, um, well, it's interesting, really, because this street, when I first moved here, was just a very normal kind of back street in La Latina uh, with not much going on. It had a couple of small bars and um, and a few sort of old bric-a-brac shops and really not much else. Um, but now, today, uh, it's, it's, you can tell that this is part of the neighbourhood which is becoming more gentrified because um, uh, I'm here. Uh, and the whole street now is given over to a, a street market, um, which I know it happens uh, on, on, on the weekend, on Saturdays. And it's... Uh, Well, people have set up a few small stalls selling art. There was some live music playing uh, a few minutes ago. There are uh, books for sale. There are vintage clothes uh, out on uh, rails in the streets. Um, And the whole street has been sort of uh, smartened up a bit, really. Um, The street has now been adorned with flags along the whole length. And when I, look, when I walk along and I look at the different shops, it's, uh, yeah, it has changed. It's uh, becoming, well, I guess a bit more, yeah, trendy. You've got uh, vintage clothes shops um, selling quite expensive vintage clothes. Not really your traditional sort of second-hand shops. You've got some kind of half-art galleries slash art studios. You've got some very high-end antique shops that have got uh, very big, elaborate, expensive mirrors and very sort of art deco furniture, old mopeds, uh, expensive designer wallpaper. Um, There's a yoga studio. Um, What else have we got? Some of the bars have changed and they've been sort of updated and they're looking a little bit more, a little bit more trendy. Um, so, yeah, you can see that this is one corner of the neighbourhood which uh, now has, is sort of changing. And as I say, this is beginning to happen in La Latina, not to the extent uh, of um, in some other neighbourhoods, particularly Malasana in Madrid. Um, but it is being gentrified and it is attracting, as I said earlier, more, uh, more tourists and more people who are coming to choose to live in this neighbourhood when they come to live here. Um, although having said that it is fantastic what they've done it's uh, very uh, very lively Um, and I'm just working my way up now to where the rastro market that I talked about uh, where the rastro sort of officially starts Um, it takes up uh, several streets Um, one very very long very long street and then several side streets Uh, Each side of it, uh, as well. Um, And as you can probably hear, there are crowds of people standing outside bars. Some of them here are drinking mojitos. I'm just uh, passing uh, a Cuban, a Cuban bar, which I went to a few times when I used to live up here. And I'm just turning into another street called Calle de la Ruda. Now this street has really changed. This is what I would say has become a little bit sort of hipstified or hipsterized or, or, or very gentrified at least and looking at some of the shops you've got uh, a cafe called Ruda Cafe which um, had just opened when I first moved here and has become incredibly popular I read about it a lot on blogs about Madrid it's one of the best cafes to come and get a, a flat white or a sort of artisan I don't even know how you say it artisanal or an artisan coffee uh, it does more kind of English or American style breakfasts you can still get the classics, uh, you can get your bread and tomato, uh, toast, which is a very classic Spanish breakfast, but you can also get chai, chai lattes, I think they do <laughs> avocado on toast, which is really not very Spanish. It's a tiny little nook, really, there's probably only enough seats inside for about five or six people. Um, I have had coffee from there, it's good, um, but uh, I still prefer the traditional, traditional cafes, if I'm honest and also cheaper. And just almost opposite where I'm standing now, there is a, uh, a, beer, a beer shop. It's called La Tienda de la Cerveza, uh, the shop of the beer. And this is quite a curious place. Uh, they have bottles and bottles of beer all around the shop and in the window from all over the world and all over Spain. And as I'm looking in the door now, there are a group of guys sitting down at a, a table at the end of the shop doing a beer tasting, and this is something they, they, they do. They do uh, personalised uh, beer tastings, and they do talks. They talk about home brewing, about microbreweries, uh, this kind of thing. So again, something that, uh, you know, ten years ago, or even five years ago, you probably wouldn't have seen, but it's becoming uh, popular in Madrid as it is in many other cities around the world. And then almost across, diagonally opposite that is an ice cream parlour. Again, this is new. I think this has only been here about a year. It's called uh, Mama Elba. And again, they are helados uh, artesanos, which means sort of artisan ice creams. So you could probably expect to pay a little bit more than average uh, here. I have tried one. They are really good. But again, it's the less traditional kind of shops and uh, uh, places now in this street, Calle de la Ruda. Calle de la Ruda, it's quite a short street, it's probably about 100 metres long, 150 metres long, and it sort of connects La Latina with what are the beginnings of the next neighbourhood along, which is called Embajadores, and then from Embajadores you cross into La which is uh, uh, another neighbourhood which is incredibly vibrant. I won't talk in too much detail about these neighbourhoods. Uh, today, because my focus is on La Latina, but certainly, certainly in the future, I will talk about um, other neighborhoods around the central Madrid and uh, sort of give you a flavour of them. Because even though sometimes they look very similar, they do definitely have their own very different kind of ambience and feel to them. Um, so I'm just heading now, coming out into someone just closing up their shop for the shutter. It's a very common sound in Spain, the sound of the shutters, metal shutters, being slammed down at the end of the day. But I'm just coming out now into the Plaza del Coscoro. And uh, this square has a big statue in the centre of a soldier. And as I understand it, the the name of the square comes from uh, a war that happened, I think, in the late 1800s between Spain and the United States. And at the center of the argument was Cuba. And Cascorro, the name of the square, I believe comes from the name of a location or a city or an area, I'm not exactly sure, in Cuba. And Cuba was sort of like a, in, uh, the, the, the focus of the war between America and Spain and eventually resulted in Cuba's uh, independence from Spain. It's a lovely square um, and it's just at the beginning, it's really at the top of the hill. Where the rastro market uh, begins so if i were here on a sunday morning you probably wouldn't be able to hear me i probably wouldn't be able to move for people crowds and market stalls and as i said this the, the uh, rastro market um starts uh here and again the square is surrounded by uh bars and restaurants and some more traditional shops. There is table, There are tables and chairs put outside in the centre of the square, um, people sitting, uh, having their evening um, beer. Well, I think I'll, uh, as I've done a sort of full circle of the neighbourhood, I'll uh, sign off now. Many of the themes that I've touched on during this uh, second podcast, I will pick up again in the future, whether it's Bar culture or the rastro market or some of the history or different neighborhoods. My aim is to produce each podcast with a specific focus, as I think I mentioned in episode one. Uh, thank you for listening, and until the next time, adios. And of course, don't forget to head over to wheninspain.org for more information about today's episode, photographs, and links to all of the places I mentioned.